rather than focusing on the on the negatives and the the downsides of COVID and cost of goods and everything, let's treat it all as a as a incredibly hard challenge. But if we get through that, eventually when we're you know running our own venues and and things like that. It'll all just be one more lesson we've, we've, we've learnt and gotten through. We recently kicked off a new series on Dirty Linen asking a big question. Is hospitality broken? We certainly hope the answer is no, but listening to our first guest, Alex Elliott Howery from Cornersmith, as she announced she was closing her cafe, things did look pretty tough. Um, I've had an extraordinary response to that first podcast and, and the good food, SMH and age story that um, came out at the same time. I think Alex really pointed to some some big hurts in hospitality at the moment and we're going to continue that discussion today. Um, our guest today is Alex Pritchard. He is culinary director at one of the most iconic restaurants in the country, Icebergs. And Alex reached out after reading the story and... Um, you know, said that some of these things resonated with him. That really stood out to me because I thought if, you know, someone who's leading the kitchen at one of, you know, Australia's top restaurants can relate to that, then there really is some big stuff going on. So Alex, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks so much for having me on, Danny. So are things harder than they used to be for you at Icebergs? Yeah, look, I I, I think definitely. I mean, there's there's a number of different things playing into it, but Overall, working now compared to five years ago in in this role is so much harder across the board and also it's harder to, I guess, inspire people to see a a future in owning a a restaurant or a hospitality business now than than it ever has been before. That's really... I mean, yeah, I, I, I clutch at my heart as I hear you say that because I know you're such a big um, believer in mentoring young talent coming through and, you know, such a such an advocate for hospitality as an industry. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a big chat. Um, tell me some of the things that are harder. What, what's making it harder? I guess, look, in, in terms of day-to-day business of a restaurant, you know, every, everyone's talked about the different the different cost factors and, and there are some good, some bad, you know, a, a huge ones, obviously the change in, in staffing and work conditions and and things like that, which are, are phenomenal changes that were, that, that were so well needed in the industry. But then that coupled with, you know, businesses having three years of, of back debt from COVID, increasing rents, increasing cost of goods. These are all things that, you know, everyone in the industry is constantly talking about, but, um, it does just get harder and harder and harder as things go on. And then the challenge with staff is the the money is there and the conditions are great and stuff, but it's tough to inspire people to go, okay, how do you see a future here? Even even myself after, you know, 15 years in the industry and, and working at such an incredible venue and be able to make all these amazing connections, I would struggle to, to be able to say, I'm confident I could open a restaurant in Sydney in the next few years. Wow. I mean, no one wants to remember COVID, talk about COVID, think about COVID. But I think there is a bit of a perception among the general public that restaurants were given a massive financial assistance through COVID. They were sort of nestled through and, you know, it all worked out okay. But, I mean, do you want to do a bit of myth busting around that and also talk about some of the emotional hangovers? Well, I think a big part of COVID is obviously 
People seem to forget that going into COVID was the, the start of a huge, huge staffing shortage in, in the country. So during COVID, anyone that's a, a, a business owner, and I, th- I think I can talk to this pretty well because I don't, I don't actually have skin in the game. I'm not a, a restaurant owner trying to stick up for restaurant owners, but I, my, my experience and from friends, friends that are restaurant owners is everyone did as much as they could to try and look after their staff and hang on to them because obviously it's the right thing to do but past that there was just they needed to have people on the other side to be able to open the doors again and in doing that is just a very very real cost to business owners and that's not even taking into account the things like you know paying painful rent that whole time you know i I don't know many hospitality businesses that actually got a, a real rent break at all and then coming out the other end of it having such huge increases in in cost of goods and and wages and things like that it's kind of like everyone expected restaurants to open back up and breathe a, a huge sigh of relief and you know cash start flowing again and and you know you can catch up on a couple a couple years of closure pretty quickly but that just it, it hasn't been the reality for for most restaurant owners i don't um, you mentioned staffing and, you know, when you talk about changes, what I'm thinking you're pointing to is that um, there's been more of a culture of people not working too much over the hours. So people are working to the award and, you know, wages have also gone up um, in alignment with the award. Um, but if you don't have, if you're struggling to make that all work, what I'm assuming people do is, 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 not have as many staff and then those staff that are there, even though they're being paid properly, there is a lot of pressure. And perhaps one thing that I've noticed as a diner, people are perhaps promoted above their abilities. Their careers are sort of rushed a little bit to everyone's detriment, I think. I mean, are these the kinds of things that we're talking about? Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more on that. And I think, look, there's, there's two factors we need to be realistic about. One how, how do you say to someone that, say I've got a, a chef to party or a line cook at Icebergs that's then been offered a job some somewhere else, maybe not quite at the same level, who knows, maybe it is, um, as a sous chef and they're getting paid 20 grand more a year. Even if that person isn't actually ready for that role or they would probably personally prefer to, to learn a bit more or grow and progress, how, when you're struggling to pay rent, do you do you then turn down an extra twenty grand a year for the, I guess, pipe dream, if you will, of oh no, look, I'll stay here, I'll progress the right way, I'll learn things the right way, and then I'll be rewarded in five or ten years' time. Yeah, it's such a tricky bind, isn't it? Because you know we talk about costs rising for restaurants, but of course, you know, cost of living increases impact hospitality workers just like they do anybody else um, especially in a city like Sydney any of our big cities um, yeah if, if you if you found a place to rent the rents probably kept going up so yeah people are really caught in a bind as you say yeah I, I, I can't see an, an easy solution to it and look I've, I've had the case many many times where I've had people that love working in icebergs, love, love, love learning and want to be able to progress. But the, the realities of their day-to-day life is, you know, if, if there's a higher paycheck there, they, they do need to be able to take it. And I think one problem is, and it, it's, a, it's a bigger problem overall, but everybody is so, so linked to this instant idea of social media and things like that now that everyone's got this idea of instant success um, rather than, as an example, what, what I had to do and what most other people in the industry in, in my role had to do is, 
you know, you, you finish an apprenticeship. I then started a pastry apprenticeship straight afterwards. I then worked as a chef to party for a few years. And then after after spending a lot of time at the bottom, the progress from there was very quick because I had a good base. Whereas I think now I'm seeing, you know, people finishing their apprenticeship if they even start one and going straight into, you know, chef to party roles just because there is the the desperation for those people. And what is what difference does that make, you know, in a restaurant to the way it feels, to the kinds of choices you make in terms of uh, what's on the menu and, and, yeah, just like rolling that forward, what difference does it make to restaurant customers? Well, I think, I think when the staffing shortage first started in Sydney, it's where where we kind of saw that that trend of people using incredibly luxurious ingredients with minimal intervention um and i believe that was because of you know a gap in obviously staffing and also skill level you know i think mark best said it said it best when um he he said something along the lines of you know the truly great mark of a, of a phenomenal chef is taking the humble carrot and turning into something incredible and amazing you know, it's pretty easy to put lobster or wagyu on a on a plate, and provided you don't stuff up the process in between, it's gonna you know it's gonna sing. But I think um, a lot of people kind of leaned on those luxury ingredients and the lack of staffing skill. Only the challenge we've got now is those ingredients are now costing so so much more across the board that I I worry that we're getting to a point where we've got chefs that are possibly un, un, underskilled or perhaps in positions above their skill level and then at the same time we're also going to be running into a position where people can't just keep affording to throw you know a waggy t-bone on the menu for four hundred dollars and and hope people love it yeah <laughs> where's my caviar <laughs> yeah exactly um, so, you know, as you mentioned, you're an employee, not an owner, um, but you know, so many people in head chef roles, you know, that's the dream. One day they're going to have their own little restaurant. What are some of the things that would make you, I guess, either pursue that or to just put pause on those ambitions? So, I think there's two, there's two separate ideas in it. Look, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that my wife and I moved down to Jeringal on the south coast in New South Wales, maybe a year before COVID. So I've I've got a per, two perspectives on it. I think if you're going to open a, a restaurant in Sydney, it's very very tough to have it be a profitable business while you're leasing the restaurant. Which the the huge downside of that is most most people in my position could never afford to buy a, a site in Sydney. So the plan is you know lease it, lease a site, make a successful restaurant, then grow and progress from there. The, the success rate in that is just so so few and far between these days and it's so hard to see a, a clear future in it. I feel like there needs to be a, a creative approach if you if what you're passionate about is doing you know city center dining, whether it's Sydney, Melbourne, whatever, I think um, restaurateurs and especially young ones need to need to get a, a bit more business minded than they used to be. And um, link up with whether it's property developers, whether it's an angel investor, whoever, and be able to own a site outright and then make a successful venue around it. Um, and the business matrix that then just go into that make a lot more sense. And it's also more long term than, than a short term thing. If you own that site, you know you're 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 doing everything you can to make that site successful. The other part of it, I think, and where I think a lot of value can come in for consumers is regional dining expanding. 
you know, we saw in New South Wales a huge, huge increase of um, amazing restaurants up in Newcastle a few years ago because we had a whole generation of hospitality professionals in Sydney start families, not be able to afford to buy a house in Sydney. So they move up to Newcastle, rents and things were, were cheaper there then. So then you have this huge dining scene suddenly erupt there and that's what I'm I'm slowly hoping is going to happen in different regional centres around Australia where people are being priced out of the city, so they're moving regional and then they're going, well, hell, I, I, I wish there was something as amazing as this cafe I had in Sydney or this bar or, or something like that. And they're opening in a regional area and the margins are just so, so different that they can then give customers a, a better sense of value. Wow, that's really interesting. And, you know, as a diner, I'm loving the idea of more great regional restaurants. But the other thing that (laughs) pops into my mind is that whenever I talk to a a regional restaurateur, they talk about staffing and how tricky that is. I suppose the way some people get, uh, I turn, well, turn that problem into a positive is that they run very small. So it's perhaps a couple and they're doing most of the hours themselves. I mean, Talk about size and scale. What do you think works uh, as you're looking at doing a business yourself one day? Um, look, I think it's a it's a combination of things. My my idea is if you're going to do something big, you need to be able to spend spend your career building relationships with people to be able to recruit them in it. You know, you might have a, a sommelier or a GM or a restaurant manager that's then you know, started a family or is in a position where they're looking to buy their own house and they can't afford to in Sydney. And that's when you would start to, you know, make offers where these people can um, can still do the quality and, the, and the, the job that they love, but do it somewhere where they can also afford to live. And past, past that, I think also um, finding ways to make things, the, the, the regional farm work for visa workers, I think it is... A good thing, obviously, because we don't, you know, there's parts of it that are taken advantage of. However, I think overall it's a it's a positive thing. But I, I see it in restaurants where I have, you know, incredible chefs or, or wait staff or managers that then need to go and do their farm work and they're out, you know, picking bananas in, in regional centres instead of working in regional restaurants. And I think the more the more dining options that do open up in regional areas, I think we can probably get to a point where, you know, Say I've got an incredible chef at Icebergs that's you know needing to do their farm work. All right, sweet. I'll call up Troy from Muse and go, "Hey, mate, I've got this chef that needs to do their farm work for three months. Do you want to take them on?" And if we can get to a constant changeover of that, I think that will that will also help with those seasonal staff. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think there are pathways for um, sponsored workers to do time in regional restaurants, but um, the working holiday visa, as you say, it's it's strictly agricultural. What other sort of government or regulatory levers do you think could be pulled to make the landscape better for restaurants and restaurant workers um, in city and country? Um, oh, look, it's 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 a really tough one, and I. I definitely don't want to pretend I'm a politician with the answers, but look, taxes do play a huge, huge part of it. I mean, you see, you see in America across the board. I mean, liquor isn't taxed anywhere near as much as it is here, and restaurants over there can offer better, better value on food products because they make so much on alcohol. You know, a bottle of vodka over there costs ten bucks versus fifty or sixty here. Um, so I think that does does make a huge margin. However, I do think there is risk involved in it. We start trying to say, all right, let's drop the taxes on 
on our gold purchases example, I think it um, I think it open opens up holes in other areas. I I don't have an easy solution. I think local councils in regional areas could definitely make things easier. Um, the council I, I live in, um, Kiama on the south coast, they're they're pretty renowned for being very very difficult to get a, a DA approved in. And if you imagine you're a young couple or a restaurateur that's, you know, solely spend most of their career in hospitality, not in building and, and council processes, the idea of, of doing a DA is either a huge, huge cost or this daunting thing that you just can't possibly understand. I think local councils could make friendlier ways to be able to assist restaurants in saying, hey, look, we're, we're not trying to shut the doors on liquor licenses or DAs or anything like that. Rather than it being a guessing process of, oh, do I just put my liquor license in with this and it might get declined or knocked back, I think their attitude should be, hey, we want venues to open down here. Come come to us and tell us your idea and we'll tell you what we think is possible. Yeah, more of a conversation. I mean, it's really interesting you, you say that and you said earlier to, for young chefs or aspiring restaurateurs to be more business-minded. I think, you know, though the romantic dream has to be paired with some nuts and bolts these days, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I don't want to sound like this should be the end of fine dining because it, abs- it absolutely shouldn't be. And I think that's where a lot of trends that we see in more casual dining and then eventually on to day-to-day consumers are um, are coming from. But I think if, if someone has their dream of going, hey, I want to be, you know, Australia's next three-hat chef, I don't think it should be the sole, that should be the sole business mind of them. I think they should understand the realities of, hey, I don't think a three-hat restaurant in, in its own right is a profitable business, but why don't we take a leaf out of people like David Chang or Christian Puglisi's book where you know Christian's got a, a farm, and then he had Relay, and then there was um, the, the the casual Italian pizza joint in the bakery, and they all kind of feed off one another. And there's there's different um, customer aspects in all of them, different values in all of them, but most importantly, there's also zero waste. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, it, it's something that does come up again and again, whether it's for an individual or a business. You, know, you just have to have multiple strings to the bow. Um, but I think, uh, you don't know, what, what also happens with that, you, you wonder how much someone like Christian Pugliese spends in the kitchen. Whether or not that's what he wants is another matter. But um, it's it, it, for me, it's somewhat, it's a bit sad that um, the only viable pathway takes people away from what they started doing. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, that's, that's how they want their careers to progress you know you don't want to be on your feet um for your whole career but um yeah it's just an it's just an interesting one i feel like some people get forced into expanding or adding um these elements to their business simply because um yeah the realities of of scale and all the pressures on a business but it might not be it might take them away from what they want to do yeah look i i agree completely i think and i think i think that's where people do need to make make that conscious decision of all right is is being the the experimental ultra fine dining chef really what i want to do or would i be more more happy you know opening a casual eatery doing food that i love and taking things i've learned over my career and being able to have more of a balance and i think the other part of as well is if you are one of those people that does want to combine a balance and have multiple venues. I think someone that does it phenomenally is um, Federico from Lumi. He's taken a bit of that model of um, he, he attracts good staff and key staff and then he cuts them into businesses. 
you know, he might have an incredible sous chef at, um, at, at Lumi as an example that's then got a, a talent for baking. So then he opens, you know, load pies and cuts him into that business. Then he's got a frozen yogurt business and a pizzeria business and all these people are getting cut into businesses. So he's he's keeping that talent around him and also giving the, these people uh, an opportunity to have some skin in the game. Wow, yeah, I think that's so smart. Um, yeah, very, very clever. And you've got that talent around you. You, got, you can share ideas. Um, yeah, people have got an interest in sticking around. So, yeah, that's really smart. Um, Alex, what about customers? You know, us diners out there with our dollars, whether or not they're, they're limited or not, um, what, sh- what role do we have to play? Um, look, I think now more than ever, people are less forgiving in in restaurants and look quite rightfully so i mean you know if you go out to a cafe for breakfast where you used to not care about getting um poached eggs overcooked or whatever when you're paying a hundred dollars for breakfast for two you're now starting to get pretty upset if you're getting overcooked poached eggs and that just kind of flows upwards from there where you know diners now more than ever they're seeing everything on instagram in this polished image that's portrayed by venues and then if they go in and it's not exactly that and they're paying for it they will get quite upset and i think um i think it would be good for diners to choose a bit more with their pocket and spend less on the average things and forgiving them and more on supporting the people trying to do things right yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, and I mean, what about, uh, I don't know, do you, perhaps not at icebergs, but you, I do have a lot of, you know, just conversations just with, with casual mates or whatever. People are talking a lot about the cost, the price of dishes in restaurants. I mean, do you think people, and it's so understandable that people are watching what they spend, you know, like so many people are struggling with a massively larger mortgage than it was a couple of years ago, for example. But do you feel like... Um, you know, the realities of what restaurants are going through. I mean, should diners care about that or is it just about having a fun night out? Um, look, I think it's. I think it would be good if people went in with their eyes open. I mean, you see you see diners go to some venues and, and look, people in the industry can see it and you go, these people are getting absolutely ripped off and they're, they're, they're perfectly happy about it. Um, I think it would be good if, if diners more than ever did did choose and, and try and support the people doing things right because ultimately um, ultimately if they don't they will they will eventually disappear I mean I, ha- I had a discussion with a food blogger the other day about a, a fish and chip shop that, that had opened on the south coast you know that was serving locally sourced fish and, and chips fried in beef fat made from potatoes in Robertson and it was still what I would consider a, a, a affordable takeaway option for dinner. Is it more expensive than a fish and chip shop using, you know, imported shark meat? Yeah, definitely. Um, is it cheaper than going out to dinner or a pub? Yeah, it still is. So I think having people understand that, you know, let's let's make these choices as educated decisions. And I think also telling people there's other ways to, to save, you know, let's, get them connected a bit more to produce and not being price gouged in supermarkets. I mean, go and buy from a a farmer's market and things like that, cook at home five days a week, 
and then you probably can afford to go somewhere a bit a bit nicer and a bit more enjoyable and 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 make those choices yeah i really love um those two points alex because i think what you're pointing to is you know the that connection that we have as a society like we're we're part of all these different food systems um social systems and the more engaged we are with the pressures and realities of those systems the the better choices we can make um yeah for everybody's benefit hopefully yeah exa- exactly right and i think um I, yeah, look, I do think we're doing it in restaurants now more than ever. I'm trying to, for a long time, a number of restaurants have been, you know, working with individual farmers and growers. But I think where possible, if we can try and connect and, and remove a middleman of a markup, we can give better value to our customers. You know, as an example, using, I get fish from Chris Bolton, who's an incredible fisher up on the ba- Great Barrier Reef. I buy it direct from him, deal with the air freight and pick it up from the airport. And I'm ending up with, you know, Cold coral trout and saddletail snapper and all these incredible fish for ten or twenty dollars less than what I'd pay from a whole wholesaler at the fish markets, purely because it hasn't gone through that extra set of hands that wasn't necessary, um, and that's then allowing me to give a better better value to my customers and also for for producers and things like like Chris, they're actually getting more money as well. Wow, I love that. So, Alex, I'm going to ask you to play a little bit of a, a mind game because I know you said you'd be finding it hard to advise anyone to um, commit to a long career in hospitality. But, but what are the great things about your job? Um, you know, if if I'm determined to go into hospitality, tell me all the good things about it. I think more so than someone that's determined to go in it. I think. I stumbled upon hospitality by accident and early on in my career, I heard this quote, might have been from Gordon Ramsay or someone like that about, um, you know, boxers and chefs have a lot in common in that they're both careers that through sheer will and hard work, you can become damn good at and, and build a good life. And I, I would like to, I guess, find a way to inspire more people to understand that rather than focusing on this pipe dream of getting 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 famous from some video on instagram put in put in a bit of hard work and i can guarantee it will it will lead somewhere i don't think there's many people that have that have absolutely given their all to this career and haven't ended up somewhere yeah that's yeah i'm hearing that and what about just talk talk to me about the satisfaction that you get about i don't know creating a beautiful dish putting something on a plate um putting it in front of a diner I think it's it's one of few careers where you can you can almost get instant gratification where you know you can you can make something and whether it's good or bad you'll almost you'll get almost an instant response on it and and understand it and when it's good that that feeling is is incredible and it also gives you a a real sense of pride I mean when people spend such a such a large amount of time in the in the hospitality industry and people become friends and family when you get to have your friends and family from your other life, if you will, that, that aren't from hospitality come in and you see them being being treated so well and, and looked after and, and really enjoying what you what you've made. It'd be like being being a builder and building a house for your mum and dad and, and having that sense of, of pride of, hey, I've I've done this and I've put that smile on those people's face. Love it. That's really beautiful. So we started this pod, Alex, with the question is hospitality broken? What have, what answer have we come up with? I don't think it's I don't think it's broken. I think it's changing, and I think um, us in the industry need to help lead 
lead the change in the right direction rather than rather than the wrong one, and rather than focusing on the on the negatives and the the downsides of COVID and cost of goods and everything, let's treat it all as a as a incredibly hard challenge. But if we get through that, eventually, when we're you know running our own venues and and things like that, it'll all just be one more lesson we've 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 learnt and gotten through, and everything else will seem. I guess easy afterwards, and I think also as a as a hospitality industry, I think it's it's a pretty tough one. But I thought a lot about it before coming on. We used to have these these events quite frequently, like Rootstock as an example in in Sydney, that was um, you know a huge festival for um, for people in hospitality, where people would volunteer and work together and get to know each other, and that's how you would breed connections and ideas and. There's not as many of those going on anymore, and I think it's a really pivotal, pivotal and inspirational place for young people in hospitality to be. I remember being a, a young chef at Rootstock and being able to meet all these people that were my heroes outside of a restaurant environment, and it was insanely inspirational and cool. And I, I think the more we can start to, as an industry, push things like that, the more we can inspire the young people coming in and say, hey, there's a, there's a lot you can do here and there's a lot you can accomplish. Wow, I love that too. So I guess it's a, you know, we need to look hard at the realities, we need to commit and we need to find community. Maybe that's a little bit of a summary. Finding the, yeah, finding the community I think is a, is a huge part of it and I think it's what will help inspire the people coming up to stay in the industry and to, and to thrive in the industry. Love it, Alex. It's been an incredibly rich conversation. You've obviously, you know, you live and breathe this and um, yeah, you've thought so hard about uh, the state of the industry and, and what can be done to make things better for, you, for your own career, but also for those um, coming up um, after you. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. I feel like, um, yeah, this is going to be a really important chat and people will come away feeling inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me on, Danny, and also for, for putting this on and giving giving people a voice to, I guess, express what they're thinking and feeling and hope, hopefully be able to connect with one another and build that sense of community you talked about. Well, I anything that um, gets me into more restaurants and just, you know, loving it and just feeling that creativity and drive. Um, so, yeah, I'm all about it. Anything I can do is, it works well for me too. So, thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.